This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. So the other day, right, as usual, I was scrolling through Twitter and I came across an interesting thread by at Cocolio underscore ZN regarding some of the things that we need to know before purchasing a car. I mean, the other day we went to the car dealership and we were like, look, Rilogo four wheels and we were like, you know what, we're interested in buying a car, right? So I think um, this thread is really, really good for people who are interested in buying cars. So the thread has some of the things that we should know in terms of purchasing a car whether pre-owned or brand new and i thought to myself i mean we're young we are planning on getting cars soon or some of us already having some of us already have cars however we're planning on getting um new cars so known on social media as coco leo leo antonio rose had his first car at just 16 years old and although he is a financial accounting graduate and entrepreneur who's been in business for over five years he is definitely a car enthusiast who has taken the hobby of owning different cars since his first car just to experience the cars himself so he is definitely the right person to be advising us on what we need to know what we need to do and of course what we need to avoid when purchasing cars leo antonio thank you so much for joining us this morning how are you doing I'm well in yourself. You are great. You are speaking to Huizi and Homozo. Jumping straight into it. I mean, as young people, we often fall into the trap of wanting brand new cars as opposed to pre-owned. As people believe pre-owned perhaps may have some functional problems, which would you say is better? Um, okay, so from my experience, uh, especially as someone that can call himself the youth, um, I, I would prefer pre-owned cars. Reason being is because there's been studies that have proved that the South African market, technically, we are not a market for new cars. I mean, we've seen the price tags of new cars, and they're ridiculous. You know, I mean, Apollo um, these days is easily chasing 400 to 500 And as a first-time buyer, I don't believe that is something we should be spending on a vehicle, especially if you're going to start off your debt. Uh, you start off your life, you know. So I'm, I'm a strong advocate for pre-owned cars because pre-owned cars, the gap between the price range of them and new cars is completely different, mm. you know. But obviously, like you said, pre-owned cars do have their uncertainties, they do have their faults, etc. But there are a few gems, and if you just know, you know, um, what you're looking for and you know the problems and you know uh, how to navigate to those issues, then trust me, your pre-owned car will be just as good as a new car. So, yeah. Yeah, sorry, continue. Yeah, so like I said, for me personally, I prefer pre-owned cars uh, because like, you know, like I said, the price tag is completely different and you get to drive your dream car at half the value of of what you would have bought it for with the same perks, with everything, you know. It's not like someone on the road can spot you and say, oh, no, you're driving a pre-owned car or a new car. You know, it's, the reality is, end of the day, it's your money. And as long as you're happy with something, then I think that should be the most important thing. I've actually heard a lot of people say with regards to pre-owned cars, yes, you'll spend half of the amount. But then because of the functional problems that the car may have, you end up spending what you would have spent buying a brand new car. Is that true? Uh, I can tell you for a fact that it's not true. Reason being is because, um, you know, people people want to push you towards buying new cars and they always use the excuse of that, like you said, 
there's no problems, uh, you're not paying for the service, you're not doing A, B, and C. But when you walk to a dealership and you buy a car, 90% of the time, the salesman is going to sell you a motor plan or an extended motor plan, right? And that motor plan or that extended motor plan, whatever it is, supposedly is supposed to take care of the car uh, for that period that you pay for. And I can tell you now from experience, you never, you're never going to get the value for your money. Those things barely work, number one. Uh, number two, there's so much of red tape around it, uh, there's conditions, they tell you no, you must do this, uh, you went above mileage. So my question is, why are you spending that amount of money on something that is not going to work anyway? You know? So, fair enough, yeah, obviously the higher the mileage is in the vehicle, the higher chances of problems. But if you're able to research the vehicle you want in advance, you're able to prepare yourself for those uncertainties, you know. Typical example, um, I'd use a Mercedes, a C200. So a C200 is a four-cylinder vehicle. Uh, It has a small engine, and as you know, small engines are normally the weakest because obviously they can't take the mileage. Uh, They're not designed to travel or to pick up that amount of uh, kilometers. You know, so if you use that, if you use that example, a C200 around 140 to 160,000 kilometers starts to give you problems. Things like timing chains, things like um, steering lock starts to pack up. But if I'm aware of those issues before I purchase the vehicle, then I can say, you know what, there's a C200 I'm seeing on sale, be it at Merck or wherever you decide to buy your vehicle. Uh, there's one I see on sale. I like it. It's beautiful. It's within my affordability, but I see it's at 120,000 kilometers. You know, of the research and of uh, what people have sold, they have owned the vehicle. You know that okay, cool. At 160, these are the potential problems that might happen. So the money I was willing to put down on a motor plan that is probably not going to cover me. Let me put that money down in my savings. Let me get something called a mechanical warranty, which, from my experience, Budvest currently has the best. They don't give you problems. Uh, they, they don't play around the bush. They don't duck and dive. You go to them and tell them, look here, the turbo or whatever has packed up, they cover you, and you call it a day. You know? Once you know the potential problems that your, that your dream car is going to have, you're able to prepare yourself. Yeah. And that's just how anything in life is. You know, when you buy a house, they tell you, uh, make sure you check the roof. Make sure you check the plumbing. That's how it is. Unfortunately, new cars, you're paying that amount for convenience. If you say, I don't want to research these problems, if you say, I don't want to go out and find out what all these problems are, then cool, you can go and buy a new car. But it's more convenient than anything else. You know? So yeah. it, it, it all boils down to you and your pockets. Truly. So we t- speaking of pockets, actually, let's talk about affordability of a car, which we know is not um, limited to installments. So what other expenses can one actually have in a car besides obviously petrol and the monthly payment? Uh, okay. So with affordability, the proper uh, percentage that we recommend that people spend on a car is 20 to 30% of their salary. So like I said earlier, <clears throat> Obviously, we all know that cars are expensive. Uh, that's the reality of it. 
Yeah. And if you stick to that percentage, very few cars will be on the road. That is the truth and that's the reality of it, you know. So what I tell people is that, okay, cool, take that percentage, and as long as that 20 or 30% covers your installment, uh, including your insurance, then you within the safe zone, you know. Obviously, fuel and anything else is something that you budget per week depending on how you travel. And maintenance, if I go back to what I said earlier, if you are prepared to drop 50 or 40,000 grand on a motor plan, you might as well take that money, put it in your savings for rainy days. So you know when the car packs up, there are so many cheaper alternatives. There are so many reputable service companies where you don't need to go to the dealer or the agent. You know, for example, Merck will charge you 6,000 rand to 10,000 rand for service. There are reputable uh, Merck approved other service guys that are charge a fraction of the price. You need to ask yourself, where the dealer makes money is where I'm going to lose money. And once you understand that, you'll be able to see all the shortcuts and you'll be able to see all the loopholes in on your vehicle. So are you saying that it's not compulsory to service your car at the dealership? Definitely not. Wow. Definitely not. The, you see, the dealership or the agent don't actually make much money selling vehicles. Their core business is the servicing and the selling of the parts. That's where they make their money. And that's why I said when you understand where dealerships make money, then you'll understand that, you know what, there's certain things I don't need to actually go through or certain things I don't need to do. Okay, so I want to know, what is a motor plan? And how does it differ from mechanical insurance? Is there actually any difference to car insurances? Uh, Okay, so... A motor plan um, is practically when you, when you get a when you get a brand new vehicle. Let's use that as an example. When you get a brand new vehicle, the dealership would only say, "You know what? Um, for the first five years or for the first hundred thousand kilometers, you wouldn't have to pay for a service. You bring in the vehicle and you service it for free." But obviously, in that certain motor plans differ. Um, like I said, you have to read the T and C and that's why I don't believe that it's worth it because it's so much of red tape, you know. I mean, you're paying 50,000 red to still get told, uh, you're not going to cover spark plugs, you're not going to cover your turbo, you're not going to cover this, you're just going to cover your basic service, you know. So Multiplan is practically saying that you're going to service your vehicle for free within certain parameters or parameters of the agreement. So if the agreement says, uh, like I said, your first 100,000 or your first five years, then that's what it is. Anything about that, they're not going to service or they're not going to deal with. A mechanical warranty or mechanical insurance practically is uh, they're not going to pay for your service, but companies like Bitvest will say, okay, fine, we can drive a C200. These are the potential problems that might arise. For example, your timing chain might pack up, you, know, you might have a steering lock issue, you might have a turbo issue. If these things pack up, we will cover you. And normally in a mechanical warranty or a mechanical plan, they normally cover the most expensive parts. And it goes back to what I was saying with research the vehicle you want to get before you get it. You know, um, the Golf GTI the 6, when it first came out, it had a gearbox issue. The DSG only used to pack up people are paying 50,000 rand, etc. So at that time, if you 
if you had got that vehicle and you had a mechanical plan, chances are pretty better going to say, you know what, your gear, your GSG or your gearbox is worth 50000 If that ever breaks or that ever passes, we will cover you for it. But anything else like a service and stuff, they're not going to cover you. So with, with that being said, I mean, mechanical plans or mechanical uh, insurances are on about 400 to 500 rand, depending on who you're with. And it's just something more like uh, an extra insurance. That's how I look at it. So obviously with your vehicle, you're going to have your normal day-to-day insurance that will cover, that'll cover your theft, your accidents, etc. Then you can add on to that by getting a mechanical insurance where uh, when you have unforeseen issues, like, like I said, your turbo and these big components where obviously you're not going to have the cash on hand, they will cover that for you. All right. So in terms of insurance, I mean, what factors come into account when insurance is being calculated and how do you even know if you're being overpriced? With insurance, uh, I think insurance has, has been a very difficult thing for a lot of people over the past few years because obviously we've, 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 we've seen how insurance companies will do everything in their power to avoid paying you out. But just to, uh, just to touch up on that, Normally, insurances should uh, indicate to you the value of your car. So you have market value and you have your, I just forgot the, the name, uh, the, the, the name that you normally call it, but you have your market value and you have your retail value, something like that. So by law, they're supposed to display that to you and tell you, you know what, Leo, your car is worth 200000 hence why your premium is, 1.5 or 1.6 a month, you know. But just like a motor plan, just like anything else, you need to read or you need to understand your C&C, you know. Yes. Even if, if, if uh, the insurance company that you're going through tells you, okay, Leo, uh, you said you parked, your, your car is parked under a garage every single night, but the next day I claim that there's a uh, hailstone damage. Trump's are not going to cover you because you're the one that told him that they parked under a locked garage every single night. So how was your car uh, exposed to hail? You know, so those are the things that uh, most people struggle with. When you, when you don't read the premium, it becomes a huge problem. And that's where insurance companies benefit. They, they, they prey on the laziness of being self-aware. They prey on the laziness of people informing themselves. And that's how they make their money, you know. So you have to be very cautious with those things. You have to, don't be afraid to ask questions. In fact, I always promote people asking questions. Um, and if you think it's a stupid question, ask them. So you have clarity on those things. You know, I know some insurance companies, there's one insurance company I was with a couple of years ago where uh, there were certain areas I wasn't allowed to go or they weren't going to cover me. The reason for that is because those areas were high, uh, there were high, high jack zones, you know. So those are the things you need to know. If sure. you don't know those things, then you get hijacked in, for example, Tantin or Soweto, and you claim they're not going to cover you because part of the policy says, Leo, they don't cover you in these areas, you know. Mm-hmm. So like I said, it boils down to understanding your policy, it boils down to reading and just not being lazy and asking questions and just don't be afraid to, you know, want to know more information. I can definitely agree with that. I think our biggest fear as people is asking questions because we fear that our questions might sound a bit too stupid. But I definitely agree with you when you say we must ask questions. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. Leo, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us.
My pleasure. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vets. By Voice of Vets. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1. Or streams by www.valfm.co.za.